Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego Kyle from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Good afternoon, Kim. How are you? I'm great, Eric. How are you doing? Oh, I'm excited. I mean, I'm incredibly excited because this is the first time I've ever had a podcast where we have four professionals that are here to teach me and the audience, of course, but are here to teach me about what you guys know best. You guys are the pros. So I'm hoping that you'll introduce our panel for today and give us a little bit of background of each person. Oh, I I am so excited about this panel. These are three amazing women that we have here with us today. And getting them together, first of all, was an amazing feat, but Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're fabulous women. And I've been so excited to put this podcast together. It's going to be great today. So let's jump right in and let me introduce them to you. All right. Uh, First of all, we have Kate Noble. Describing them is going to be, I have to keep it short because I, their, their bios <laughs> are just <laughs> so long. But Kate wears many hats. Um, she currently works as the head of uh, community development for a company called Yellcast. Hmm. Um, she, I, I don't even know if I could describe what they do, but we'll let her give you a brief synopsis. But she spent many years in economic development for the city of Santa Fe, and um, she's currently the Santa Fe school board president. She's also a hometown girl here in Santa Fe who left, went to college, and came back to raise her family here. And her you know, goal was really to make her beloved Santa Fe a better place. Kate, you want to tell us a, a brief bit about Yellcast and anything else about you that's super important? Yeah, I am actually still involved with Yellcast, so clearly I need to update my bio somewhere. I um, <laughs> currently am the vice president for policy and stakeholder engagement for um, a policy organization in early childhood called the New Mexico Early Childhood Development Partnership, which is actually really well suited to connecting to my school board work. So I do early childhood by day and and K-12 stuff um, by night, I often say, for our school board meetings. Um, and Yellcast is actually a local connection engine that works on um, invigorating local economies through direct connection between what people are doing and what people have. Uh, and it's work we're working on geolocation for Yellcast, which is becoming more and more relevant in the current world. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for giving us that update. Our second guest is Catherine Mortimer or Kat. Um, Kat worked for many years for the city of Santa Fe and uh, recently on sustainable issues for uh, the city. She was on the Sustainability Council, um, one of the original members of that. And she recently started her own consulting firm. We'll let you let her tell you a little bit about that. But she has so many skills. I don't even know where to start. Let's just say she knows her stuff in water resource management in climate change strategy development, in urban planning, in sustainability planning. She's really got all the skills that we need to move forward in our new sustainability world. Mm -hmm. Um, Kat, what else can you tell us about yourself? Thank you. 
Yeah, I was actually staffed at the Sustainability Commission. I was never on it because I was staffed at the city. So, um, but uh, certainly worked with an amazing group of people to come up with the first sustainability plan for the city. And then that's evolved into a more current one. I've been working in sustainability for over 30 years and um, I'm really excited to start a business where I can spread that knowledge to other communities and organizations um, to try and get sustainability happening faster and more effective. Yeah, as a little uh, side note, um, when I was working on my MBA in sustainability, Kat helped me a little bit when I was working on my capstone project. And I decided to uh, work on what I thought were the needed revisions for the city of Santa Fe's first iteration of the sustainability plan. So Kat kind of helped me with that. And our third guest is Melanie Stansbury, who is New Mexico House of Representatives for District 28. And she has a ton of experience working in several White House positions in D.C. and on committees around water, natural resources, energy issues, and locally on uh, Native American affairs. Lots of details in there that I don't really know um, all about, but Melanie, what else can you tell us about yourself? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for having us today on your podcast. Um, It's an honor to be on, and I'm honored to be the only non-K member of the panel today. You are! (laughs) I am! So, uh, and also to be on with such extraordinary ladies who do so many different things um, and to serve with you all here in this state. So um, New Mexico has a citizen legislature, which means that those of us who are still working also have jobs. Um, And I also run my own consulting practice and I work on natural resources and sustainability issues. So by day, the cape I wear um, is advising philanthropy, nonprofit organizations and research organizations on um, natural resource issues. Um, My career is focused a lot on water security issues and climate issues and also on community development. So this kind of nexus with sustainability and how do we build economies that uh, work for people. Um, But yeah, so I've worked in a lot of different fields, all of them, the same theme through all of them has been around community development and sustainable natural resource management. So I started my career early. I'm also a hometown girl here in Albuquerque. is a science educator. And then I worked uh, for the federal government for a number of years at the Office of Management and Budget. And I worked also in the Senate Energy Committee before I moved home and ran for office. And now I'm doing that work serving the people as a state legislature, as a state legislator. <laughs> so. Great. Thank you all for being here. We have a powerhouse on this podcast today. Eric? Kim, I know that we're going to be talking about life after COVID-19, specifically from a sustainability perspective. Is that correct? Yes. And I love the fact that you made me privy to the email chain that was going back and forth, getting this scheduled and just kind of picking their brains and, and all that. So I appreciate already learning some things up front. And I know I want to start this discussion on resilience. And Melanie, this is going to be kind of to you because you pointed out this to me in an email, but I would like all of you to comment not just about the personal piece, but about our children and education, the sustainability reactions we might see happening and our personal perspectives. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about resilience lately because 
all of us right now are staying at home and under just such a tremendous amount of stress, both in our everyday lives and trying to, you know, figure out how we're going to get through the day. Um, and also the psychological stress mm. that we're going through of living through an unprecedented global pandemic. And I think there's been a big movement um, over the last several years around personal wellness, around this concept of resilience, which is the ability to emotionally and psychologically cope with a crisis um, and harness your inner strengths and capabilities to to be stronger and um, and to be kinder and to get through it. And I think it's really interesting to think about that in the context also of sustainability, because one of the terms that is also a movement right now is climate resilience and resilience in, in the face of change um, as our entire globe is changing um, with climate change. And so thinking about this moment, as Kim was asking us to talk about sustainability and what the future holds for us, I think that living through this pandemic is really fundamentally changing all of us um, inside ourselves, right? And how we think about our role in the world and how we're going to get through the day and the way in which people have stepped up through mutual aid to support each other and feel this sense of connectivity even at a time when none of us can physically connect mm. um, and, and how that will sort of transform and build resilience for us as people, as society, as a country. And then thinking about what it means in terms of sustainability for our, our world is we're seeing everything is slowed down. We're seeing skies clear as pollution has um, moved out of major cities globally. You know, I've heard that um, folks in India can see the Himalayas that haven't in a generation. And we're hearing about major cities all over the world. And even here in Albuquerque, I, I live right on the side of the mountains and I can see farther on the horizon than I've ever been able to see in my life before taking walks in the evenings. And so it's really, I think, profound to think about how this moment is really transforming us in the way we're going to live on this planet. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else have something to add to that? Kate, what do you think in terms of education? Well, education is embarking on certainly the most profound experiment probably in any of our lifetimes. And it's really interesting to think about as I listen to Melanie and, and sort of think about the resilience of the kids and, and their humanity. And of course, children are flexible and malleable in ways that adults have forgotten how to be. But it's a really interesting experiment to see, you know, with routines completely turned upside down for kids in the school system, how they are finding ways to cope and really reinventing even things like um, socializing without boundaries. And, you know, so it's been really fun to see that my son can have play dates with his cousin in Albuquerque just as easily as he can with his friend down the street via technology and that sort of thing. And um, I really think that our children are learning things and, and figuring out ways. And they've all 
always been uh, sort of forward thinking on taking care of our planet. You know, we've seen a lot of leadership from our youth and, because they're aware that they inherit the planet and they have to be there longer than grownups do. Um, and so I think some of the ideas that will come out of children as they have basically been shoved into a whole new routine that is very, very different than anything they've known before is going to be something to watch because kids are immensely creative and um, resilient in their own right. And I think what will come out of this from just simply how, you know, my, my child is telling me that he's inventing all of these things on any given day and he's nine and he's, you know, really just thinking about, okay, um, he's not bound by any of the constraints of what's possible and not possible. And he's going, you know, I'm going to invent clean energy that will be an inexhaustible supply that won't ever pollute the earth. And I'm like, you know what? You go for it. I can't wait until you do. Um, so I, I think we're going to get a huge amount of innovation out of this from our children. Uh, that's great. I, I want to add on the resiliency piece, looking at it from my parents' perspective, and I, I think it's harder for them for the elderly to be a little more resilient. So my parents are in an assisted living facility, which is on complete lockdown. And they're in Oregon, so they're much farther away from me. And I, I talk to my mom almost every day, which is much more frequent than I usually do, which is about once a week normally. And my mom is incredibly stressed. And my, my stepdad has... Alzheimer's. And so it's probably slightly easier for him, but it's very, very stressful for her in this situation. And I find her to be a lot less resilient in this situation. She doesn't know really how to cope. She feels constrained. She feels very stressed and she, she doesn't know how to deal with this sort of unending situation. And Yesterday, she cried on the phone with me and she she just doesn't know where to go with the situation. So I feel like this may be an experience for a lot of older folks who are not as adaptable as the children, as, as those who are younger, who can maybe look forward to a different kind of future. And so I do worry a little bit more about the mental health of the elderly and those who probably feel a little more trapped so that's that is something I think is a little more concerning and they're probably a little less resilient. So it's different perspectives, I think, from maybe different age groups. But I, I would I would add, you know, I think that exactly what you're pointing to is part of what this moment is revealing is where our systems are not resilient. Yes. And I think in our culture here in the United States, the way in which our communities are often disconnected and we don't have as many multi-generational homes as, you know, other cultures or even cult subcultures within our country is one of the things that does add stress, right, to um, and affect different populations in different ways. And I think that is part of what we're seeing is how there are lots of systems and, and, and vulnerable folks in our communities that they, they aren't resilient or they don't have access to the same resources. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I think the psychological impact is, uh, it, 
it's calling attention to something that that we've kind of been aware of, but maybe not to the extent. Um, our society has is much more isolated. As you mentioned, you don't have extended families living together, which is a tradition in a lot of a lot of places. And that isolation and loneliness has been experienced in silence a lot. And I think this situation has brought that out because more people are experiencing it and realizing how real that is and the, the, the health uh, impact that that has. And having a social network that is supportive and a problem or a worry shared is a problem or a worry halved. And every time you share it, it kind of diminishes because you feel like you're not alone. And getting that to happen effectively, especially with people who aren't as comfortable using technology um, or don't have technology available to them is a problem. And I think it's been highlighted in this situation, um, but it's always been a problem. It's, it's just um, exacerbated currently. And I would agree 100% because my biggest concern has been the, the elderly that have already felt, like you said, have already felt separated from community, right? They, they're, maybe they're in an assisted living facility or they're just isolated due to mobility issues. And what little interaction they had before was completely eliminated by having to stay in place and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and we know that that's going to have a, a long-term effect, but I want to kind of go back and, and go back to one of the comments earlier uh, that I believe Melanie said about the kids and the kids in school and the education system, because I think the kids are way more resilient than a lot of reports have said, oh, there's going to be a lot of depression coming out of this. There's going to be a lot of issues. I don't know about y'all, but <laughs> I've seen kids in the same room, six or seven feet apart on their devices anyway, right? <laughs> That's how they've been spending their time for the last quite a, quite a few years. So they've been practicing this <laughs> in real life. Uh, I think they're a bit more resilient than a lot of people give them credit for. And, at, but at the same time, I'm not a psychologist. So I'm, I'm curious how our education system might have to change to adjust for this experience specifically, whether it lasts for another round two, which again has, has been spoken about a lot in the media, uh, or round three as has been alluded to as well. What do we think is going to happen with that education system? And Kate, I'd like you to start this one off, if you don't mind. Yes. Well, that's the multi-million dollar question. Um, there, you know, schools have always been a, a great place to share germs. Um, and, you know, most parents know that in the fall, when kids go back to school, uh, their children are likely to bring home a bunch of different things mm -hmm. because they've gone back into the same building and are touching the same doorknobs and water fountains or whatever it is that that kids are doing during the days. Um, and it, you know, it seems as if we are not going to just be able to go back to business as usual. So, you know, putting all the kids with the same numbers, the same density in classrooms, um, for, Ever months and days on end. So there's a lot of options being considered right now, whether it's um, doing alternate days or alternate times in order to reduce the density of school. You know, a key question is all of this is going to cost more at a time that we're looking at um, a fairly serious uh, economic slowdown, mm -hmm. probably the most serious again in any of our lifetimes. But the key thing that a lot of us are looking at is also how we sort of build the 
ecosystem back better than it was before? You know, how do we increase equity? Internet access has been uneven across socioeconomic status, but it does open up possibilities for things like remote dance classes, physical education, or a variety of different things where the barriers of, you know, going across town to get in the room with the right instructor have sort of been removed. So there's a lot of possibility as to how education can evolve and how perhaps we use the best examples of the different types of systems. So what is it that kids need to do together in a classroom? And what is it that they can do remotely better? Um, We've also seen in the Santa Fe Public Schools that, uh, and it's sort of anecdotal at this point, but that parent engagement through virtual meetings, through Zoom meetings, can be way higher Mm -hmm. because then you can, you know, mute things and go cook dinner while you're still listening. But it's just a very different model than, you know, parents having to, families having to come to a meeting at a school for parent and family engagement. And so, you know, again, if we can think about how to do some of these things better that will allow people to be more engaged in kids' education and allow kids more more access to resources, classes, learning opportunities, but we can't give up on the communal nature of being together and and what that adds to our children's lives. So a lot of it is still up in the air now, and I really hope that we can be smart enough to grab the best examples of different ways of doing it and, and really put the pieces together for a better system. Absolutely. Like you said, we don't know how that's going to shape out. We don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, We're hoping for very positive changes uh, that we can be more inclusive uh, of those different economic statuses because that's been a problem for decades, right? We all know that. So hopefully we see this, this move forward. But there are some positive notes coming out of this. On the broader scope of sustainability specifically, we've seen a lot of reports about people driving less because they're staying in place, working from home. And we've seen clear observations that there's cleaner air in some major metropolitan areas. I I saw a video of uh, the canals in Italy even being much cleaner because there's less boat traffic. And those are all positive things. This is a, a huge positive side effect for our planet. And obviously, everyone on this call and hopefully everyone listening to this podcast would love to see that continue. So my question is, how do we keep this moving forward when everybody's going to have to go back to work at some point and you know, there's going to have to be boats and people are going to think, OK, well, this is a new norm and, and, uh, and I want to get back to skiing and everything else that I did before. How do we keep the positive things moving forward from this without reverting back to our old ways? Uh, this is Catherine. Um, I, I think there's, there's a number of silver linings uh, that have come out of COVID that definitely have helped to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as well as other smog producing emissions. But these really are temporary, at least to this extent. Um, It's it's not a sustainable situation for us to all stay home all the time. Uh, But that being said, now that employers have seen that working from home can work, Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that many employees will continue allowing office workers and workers, other workers that make sense to to. Uh, limit the number of trips that they have to make into an office or into a group setting. Recovery efforts that will 
be starting as soon as we can start going back to uh, normal. Also provide an opportunity to um, kind of come out of this in a better situation. And there's three areas where I see that happening as far as sustainability. First is to address inequities. Obviously, the COVID has affected inequitably uh, communities of color and communities of poverty. And the recovery efforts, if not done thoughtfully, could further uh, mm-hmm. not benefit <laughs> um, those people who have already had a, a greater impact. So that's something that we can intentionally focus on and, and address inequities. Uh, the second is to catalyze actions that create greater resilience to other shocks and impacts that that are or will happen in the future. It's just a matter of when and where. But I think that people are now sensitized, and the idea of a pandemic seems so low risk and low remote. It was a hundred years ago the last time we mm-hmm. had a pandemic. Um, but now that it's happened and it feels real, the the potential for other kinds of things to be potential real events, I think is greater in people's minds and people are probably more open to investments to create resilience for when those shocks happen, that we can be better prepared. The third is to shape our economy for the jobs that are emerging rather than the jobs that we've had. Retail in particular has been was hard hit before with online retail. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, is uh, even more so. And I think that there may be a lot of retail stores that don't reopen, um, can't reopen, um, uh, or or don't, or already on the verge of not making it financially because of online shopping. And and so we're going to see at least nationally and locally, things will be a little different here and there, but um, I can see a lot of empty retail storefronts and that's kind of been seen as creating a dead downtown or a dead shopping area in the past. But we've got since before COVID a a lack of uh, housing, affordable housing in the country and locally, and the idea of repurposing some of these retail spaces that are already in shopping centers or shopping areas and repurpose them for um, housing and creating encouragements and incentives to do that will be creating walkable communities where walkable neighborhoods where there's existing retail that survives this and those new residents all of a sudden can walk to them. Santa Fe's downtown is has very few residential units in it. The idea that empty retail stores could be turned into some apartments or condos and create that 24-hour presence, life on the streets, safety on the streets because you have eyes on the streets, all mm-hmm. those things that our benefits, I think, hopefully can come out of this. Eric, I've got a couple things I want to add to this comment. Yeah, please. Uh, on the working from home piece, it's interesting. Facebook announced yesterday that for the majority of their employees, they are going to work from home through the end of 2020. So this is a huge employer mm. who is going to have pretty much all of their employees work from home through the end of this year, which is 
an amazing piece. So we know if they can do it, uh, most other rather large employers can do that. So we can save a lot on transportation, on commute, you know, on all the commuting pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at Google, for example, they have uh, quit providing free meals. They they give well, they get free meals, but they're they're giving them bagged lunches, so they don't go through the cafeteria. They're eliminating contact with other employees as much as possible. So there are ways to reduce not only contact, but food waste, things like that. So it's kind of been an interesting sustainability shift in two major corporations. So that I find very interesting. Also on the sustainability piece, when when we're seeing the clearer skies, the cleaner water areas, this is an opportunity for us not only as a country, but literally as a planet, to look at what we've done and how honestly easy it is to make a shift. And yes, of course, as Kat mentioned, it's not feasible for everyone to stay home as much as we have, but we know we can work from home for a majority of what we're doing and we can reduce how much we drive. So How do we move that forward? There is an easier way to do it. We can can reduce greenhouse gases in a major way. We know we can. So we need to encourage people to literally limit our driving. This is a big piece of greenhouse gases. We know we can do it. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not going to reduce it to the extent that we have over the last eight or nine weeks but we can certainly cut it in half. We know we can. It's an easy way to do it. It's an easy shift and we know we can. So let's do it. Let's encourage people to continue that process. Melanie, I think has something to add to this. So yeah, I think about these things in a sort of macro level, thinking about the state of our global economy and our nation's economy and our economy here in New Mexico. Um, You know, students of history know that anytime you have a major economic crisis, there's a big reshuffling of the economy and what comes out the other side. And right now, based on the economic forecasts we're seeing for the country um, and for our state, we know that we're facing a pretty dire economic outlook. Um, Some of the probably worst uh, economic and jobs um, outlook since the Great Depression. And so even though that is, of course, a crisis, it's also an opportunity because we know the economy is going to be dramatically changed after we recover from all of this. And since this is a podcast that's focused on investment, you know, I think it's worth saying that, you know, if you look at the Great Depression, part of what happened is all these folks who lost their jobs and small businesses that went under. um, And then also at the 2008 recession, there was a big conglomeration and um, consolidation of businesses that happened in the aftermath of those big economic crises. And I think this economic crisis in particular, because we're at this inflection moment in our history, as Kate was talking about a few moment ago, few moments ago, about you know how our kids are pushing us in particular to think about sustainability and climate change and living on this planet going forward. 
is to not just let this economic crisis become another um, consolidation of small businesses um, into you know larger corporate global structures, but to really be thoughtful as governments, as investors, in reinvesting in our people, reinvesting in our planet, investing in the kind of innovative solutions that hopefully Kate's son is going to invent to to move our country forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is really an inflection moment, not only in our society, but in our economy. And this this is the exact moment that we need investors and governments and others to invest in the future sustainability of our society. And because we've taken this collective pause and because everything's being reshuffled right now, that is the major opportunity that we have before us. Yes. So as we move into part two of our series, let's pick up on that um, economic piece and, and launch into that. I think that's a great place to start in part two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ladies, I thank you so much. I've learned a ton already and you know, I know we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit of politics on the next one as well. And if if it's between me investing in the adults in this nation, the, the ones that are running this country at this point, or the nine-year-old, I'll invest in the nine-year-old. <laughs> because yeah, let's go with the nine-year-old. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think he's smarter, probably. Uh, I think he's probably got better ideas uh, than those that are in charge at the moment. Uh, but that's just Plus my... I've met him, and he's rather adorable. Well, there you go. See, that, that's a bonus. So again, every listener out there, you know that this is going to be a two-part series, and we're going to end this one today, right now, and the ladies are going to be coming back, and they're going to share more wisdom with us. Kim, thank you so much for setting this up. I've really enjoyed it so far, and I look forward to part two. It's powerful. Thanks, Eric. Absolutely. And to you, the listener, I want to thank you each and everyone for listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device, and it makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Now we want to take just a moment to thank our sponsors. Yes, we have two sponsors for this podcast. The first one is Green Century Capital Management. They are proud to be the home of the first family of fossil fuel-free, responsible, and diversified mutual funds in the U.S. By investing in responsible corporations, Green Century enables individuals to align their investments with their values. Green Century also houses an award-winning shareholder advocacy program that directly presses dozens of companies every year on sustainability practices. Green Century is the only mutual fund company in the U.S., wholly owned by environmental and public health nonprofits, and 100% of the profits earned managing the Green Century Funds belongs to them. Our second sponsor is Calvert Research and Management. Calvert is a global leader in responsible investing. Calvert sponsors one of the largest and most diversified families of responsibly invested mutual funds, encompassing active and passively managed equity, income, alternative, and multi-asset strategies. With roots in responsible investing back to 1982, the firm seeks to generate favorable investment returns for clients by allocating capital consistent with environmental, social, and governance best practices and through structured engagement with portfolio companies. Thanks to our two sponsors, Calvert and Green Century Capital Management. We do appreciate that support, and I thank every one of you for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661 don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available the companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation horizon sustainable financial services is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of new mexico and other jurisdictions were registered or exempted. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.